Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. G'day everyone, it's great to be with you today and it was awesome seeing all those faces on camera. I really miss being in a room with all of those guys, Uh, but Gateway, we are so blessed with the calibre of leader that we have across all of our campuses. And uh, Lauren's doing just an incredible job now with our young adults. So it was good to hear from them all this morning and uh, this evening. And uh, it's just great to uh, see their faces again. I just want to add to their shout out by saying hi to everyone at my home church, Gateway Ormo. You know, it's crazy to think that in this last week, we turned eight years old. It's been eight years since we launched down there. And one of the great privileges of my life is being able to pastor Gateway Almost Campus. And uh, I just want to say that uh, my family and myself are so blessed being part of that church and for the incredible uh, just gift that it is to be able to do life with all of you. I can't wait till we're back in a room together, but here's my shout out to you uh, today. Hope you're doing well. Hey, I get another privilege today, and it's to continue our joy series as we journey through the book of Philippians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to a church in a place called Philippi. And I get to talk out of Philippians chapter 2 today, which I'm really stoked about because in my opinion, Philippians chapter 2 is one of the great texts in the Scripture. And it's great for a bunch of reasons, but, but two in particular. One, it gives us a glimpse or a roadmap of what it means to live life as a follower of Jesus. But the way Paul does that is not by giving us a list of rules or behaviours, but by pointing us to Christ himself and saying, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, imitate him. And so if I'm going to give a title to my message today, it's this, the joy of imitating Christ. So let's just jump straight into it. If you have a Bible, you can grab it right now. or You can follow along on the screen with me. And this is Philippians 2 from verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, Paul writes this as a pastor to a church that he's established. And he says to them, I want to call you towards unity and like-mindedness, to share the same love. And he uses this phrase, make my joy complete. And I understand this as a pastor that Paul says, if you really want my joy to be complete, I want to see you acting in a Christ-like way to each other and within your community. You know, right now in this season as a pastor, I feel like I'm living between two extreme stories. And in the last couple of weeks, I've just had the pain and the heartache of walking with many people and with some of you that are watching here today uh, through some really uh, difficult circumstances. And I know together in this season, as we minister to one another, there's going to be moments of heartbreak. There's going to be lots of tears shed. And there's just going to be times where our heart aches as we join in each other's suffering. And I know for some of you, these last couple of weeks have been incredibly hard. 
But I've also had the joy of standing on the other end of seeing the way that followers of Jesus are seeing the opportunity that is arising for us to shine a light into the darkest places. And I'm seeing a creativity and an innovation in the way that we're caring for one another that brings incredible joy into my spirit. Let me tell you about a couple of things that I've heard at work in this last week. I've had at least three conversations with people who've received a meal or a care package or some groceries delivered to them from someone in their life group that knew that they weren't doing well, that knew that it was hard for them to leave their houses and so just went out of their way to practically show love and support by caring for those around them. I've heard three other stories this week of people that received generous cash gifts from anonymous sources who just knew that they'd lost job or lost their income in this last little bit and wanted to bless them so that they could sustain through these next few weeks. And I know a few of those anonymous donors and I know they're not people that have great means, but they've decided that at this time, it is much greater to give than it is to receive, that they are willing to go out uh, without some of their own comforts for the sake of making sure that one of their brothers or sisters doesn't go without. You know, this week past, we've had somebody in our church that's donated, delivered and set up a cold room to our care centre so that we can receive more goods and more fresh food that we can store safely and appropriately so we can care for the growing number of people that just need some help in this moment. And we've had a, a contact through our church that put us in touch with a local cafe out on the bayside of Brisbane that last Sunday donated 70 freshly cooked restaurant quality meals for us to distribute to those in need. This is an incredible time. I heard some stories of people, families that took it upon themselves to write letters to those in aged care facilities, just words of encouragement to brighten the day of some of our most vulnerable citizens that are, can't leave their premises right now. You know, I get it when Paul says to the church in Philippi, make my joy complete by living out this Christian life with each other in a unity and a like-mindedness so that Christ uh, gains glory from who we are as his followers. They're incredible stories. I just want to say on that, if you've got something that God's been planning in your spirit that you want to contribute, you've got something in this time that you know you might be able to help with or you've got a skill that could be really valuable, we'd love you to jump on our Gateway Care page on our website. And there's a form there where you can say, I'd love to help. And you can tell us and, you know, if the appropriate opportunity arises, we might be able to match some of the needs that are coming with some of the offers that are being uh, coming through as well. Let me continue. Paul picks up in verse three and four in what I think is probably the crux of his message in Philippians chapter two, because he continues by saying, make my joy complete by, you know, being unified and like-minded. But then he says this, verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. You know, in this season, I'm really praying that we as a church become known for the very thing that the church was meant to be known for. That we become a people of just lavish, reckless love. That we become people that are known for our extravagant generosity towards those in need. 
that we become known for the way we selflessly and sacrificially and anonymously reach out to our neighbours. You know, as we do those things, God's going to receive incredible glory. As in the pain and the disruption of this time in which we're living, the church starts to shine the way that Jesus always intended for us to shine. And so Paul says, don't do anything motivated out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does vain conceit mean? Vain conceit is a false pride or an inflated sense of who we are. And so what Paul is saying is do nothing motivated by the desire for human greatness or glory or an overinflated sense of self-importance. Because if they become your motivation, then suddenly we're not living out this command to be Christ-like. And it's at this moment that Paul turns the focus of his writing in Philippians chapter 2 from a challenge to us in the church to a picture of the one that is calling on us to imitate. As I said, Paul doesn't give us a list of behaviours to go by. He says, I I want you to be one. I want you to be unified, have a like mind, operate out of the same spirit and the same love. And this is how I want you to do it. Look at Jesus and live like that. And, And there's a subtle change in the text here, which is deep in its meaning and its value. And if you've got uh, uh, your Bible with you, you'll notice even in the way it's laid out in the text, we move from just words uh, that are put together like a narrative into words that are poetic. And the way it's laid out shows that now we're moving into the poetic form. And I think there's something deep about this. There's something that's not done by accident because the picture that Paul is about to paint of Jesus, I think he knows in his spirit that this goes beyond just mere words, that there's something so beautiful about what he's about to tell us that Jesus is like, that words alone, even though they're true and accurate, don't do it justice. And just like the reason we, when we gather together, start our time together singing and worshipping, there's something about taking the truth of who God is and adding lyric and form and rhythm and metre and music that just says there's something about what we're saying that, that needs something more than just the words. It needs the beauty that this art form provides. And so Paul gives us a poem. Maybe in the ancient world it was, set to music. But it's a poem that tells us what Jesus is like. One of the greatest scriptures you'll ever hear, you'll ever read, you'll ever experience. He starts it off in verse five saying this, to sum up everything he's just said, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. And now the poem starts. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Just let those words soak in for a minute. That he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I wonder what equality with God looked like. You know, in heaven, Jesus had all power ascribed to him. There was no one with greater power or influence. No one was greater and no one had the chance to exercise power to a greater extent or a greater outcome than he did. He had great privilege. All of the riches of heaven, all of the the wealth and resource of heaven was at his disposal. And he had the greatest position. All the glory, all the worship, all the fame, all the renown of heaven was His. 
or the power or the position or the prestige or the position. But Paul says he did not consider that as something that he should use to his own advantage. He chose to use that to the advantage of another. You know, I really love being comfortable. I have to be honest and those that know me well know that I like some of the, you know, comfortable things in life, some of the nicer things in life. I love that I get to live in Australia, this country of great privilege, where there's so many choices that are available to me, where, where I have the freedom to live and experience life in so many great and rich ways. But right now, I reckon we are being called to look beyond our own comfort our own position or privilege or the power that we have for the sake of another. You know, the desire to put ourselves first is a really, really strong one. And we've seen that. We've talked about this in recent weeks of the desire for people to hoard things in fear of what the future might hold. And before you dig in the boot, just stick with me for a moment because I wonder if any of you, and I'm going to be honest here for a moment, I've had this happen a few times. But I wonder if any of you have walked into a supermarket or into a place and you've heard all the reports of a particular item getting taken off the shelves at a rapid rate. And as you're walking through the supermarket, you've walked down that aisle and you've seen one or two of those things left and something in your spirit just said, maybe I should grab it now because next week it may not be here when I really need it. You see, there's something strong within all of us, this strong desire to look after ourselves. And if you haven't had that desire, I applaud you because you are incredible in your strength and in your selflessness. But I wrestle with it all the time, this desire within me just to take care of number one. But nothing that we face right now compares to the choice that God made to clothe Himself in humanity and step out of the glory and the riches of heaven, to step away from the fame and the renown and the power that He held. The question I want to ask of us this morning, this evening, whenever you're joining us, is this. How will you use your position and your power to serve others right now? Whatever power you hold, whatever position you hold, whatever privilege you have, how are you going to choose to use that to serve another in this time? Let's pick up the text, pick up the poem from verse 7. So who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse seven, rather he made himself nothing. That is a strong word. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. You know, every Tuesday night right now, uh, we're inviting our church to come together in prayer. When everything's normal, we have weekly campus prayer gatherings through the week. And we can't do that in person right now. So we're encouraging you wherever you are at, just to gather together with whoever's in your house, with your family or your flatmate, or if you're on your own, just to carve aside some time on a Tuesday night to just come together as a church in prayer. This last week, one of the things that we were encouraged to pray for was our Gateway Beyond family, our Gateway Beyond workers. And some of them are home with us right now and some of them are still serving in the countries where they've been sent. And our Gateway Beyond crew are some of the most courageous and selfless people that I know. And right now they're living testament to the message that I'm giving. 
They're out serving the poor and the marginalised and sharing the good news of Jesus in some of the farthest flung places on the globe. And as we were praying for them, I I, I recognised that there was a wrestle within me to actually not look inward. And right now, all of us are facing some significant challenges. Every one of us is having to make some significant adjustments in life and come to terms with some new realities. You know, this last week, my office has been moved home. My kids have all been home from school. And so now here I am in a family of seven, learning to coexist constantly with my family. And don't believe every great Facebook photo and social media feed you see of happy families telling you how easy it is making life happen. There's some, I'm sure. But I know right now as we're watching this, I'll have one child complaining that they're hungry. I'll have another child kicking their brother, trying to get them in trouble for mucking up. I'll have another child just emptying every toy that we own in front of the television. And I'll be sitting there trying to tell them to sit still and be quiet because I'm preaching. Now, I know some of you are experiencing that as well. And I tell you, we're having to learn to exist in a new way as a family. And I love my family. God has blessed me with an incredible family. But there's some adjustments because we're not used to being in that close proximity with one another as much and as often as we're having to learn to be right now. And in some ways, I'm really thankful to God for the gift of that because it reminds me of the gift that I have in my family. But there's some adjustments that we have to make. And as we were praying for our Gateway Beyond crew this last week, I just was given a reminder, given a kind of a fresh kick of perspective. You see, right now, as we face this global pandemic, I'm really glad that I get to live in Australia. You know, we've got an incredible healthcare system. And I want to say to all the nurses and doctors and healthcare workers that right now are caring for the sick and many of them putting themselves in harm's way to do so, we are blessed. You are our heroes. We have an incredible healthcare system. We have a welfare system. That in itself is a miracle. But, but the, the way the government is now providing through that welfare system to care for one another. And some of us are going to hit great financial crisis and we're going to have some really tough financial times. But we've got a system that ensures that no Australian should have to go without food on their table and shelter over their head. That every Australian child can still receive education and care and support. We live in a blessed country. I look around my home and when I'm having one of those moments with my kids in the lounge room, I know that I've got multiple rooms where I can send my kids to. I know that there's some rooms, some little rooms where I can go and lock the door and hide for as long as I need to just to get some space. There's a backyard that we can all escape to. Kids, young people, if you're watching this with your family right now, I want you to do something in your mind or you can have a chat about what it looks like in your space later. But whether you're in a lounge room or a bedroom or a study or sitting on the end of a bed watching Gateway online today, I want you to imagine now going and dragging your entire life into the room in which you're in. Everyone going and grabbing their bed, bringing their mattress in. But as you do so, ensure that there's a corner where you could set up some cooking gear so that you could continue to provide uh, nourishment for your family. In another corner, I want you to leave some space for some buckets because this is only one room. There's no bathroom here. You've actually got to go and collect water from some distance and bring it back so that you've got food, to, uh, water to cook with and water to drink and water to bathe with. I want you to think about what life would be like in that context. 
Maybe there is a light and maybe the electricity that flows to that light is intermittent at best. You know, you might think that I'm creating a really harsh picture, that I'm over-exaggerating this, but I've sat in homes with families as big as mine that live in a space like that. And right now, that is for what many people in our world, lockdown and social isolation looks like. You know, the virus that we face doesn't discriminate. But as with many things, it's the poor in our world that are going to suffer through this the most. So during this time, I want to say this. Church, let's care for each other. Let's care for our own. Let's care for our neighbours that are in close proximity to us. But let's not ever forget the call as followers of Jesus to care for the poor and most vulnerable people in our world because this is a time that they're going to continue to need people like you and I to step up and show the love of Jesus in practical ways. Continue church to be generous. Continue church to be prayerful. Continue to ask what you can do to live out the mandate that Jesus gives us as his followers to be people that look out and care for the poor and most marginalised people in our world. Here's the question. What is it right now that you are going to choose to give up for the sake of another? What is it that you as a family might resolve that you can go without so that someone in our world doesn't miss out. Let's do this together. God gave up heaven for us. And so the poem continues. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death. On a cross. You know, in the ancient world, those who were celebrated as great were people that were either of great political power or, or had great military conquests and victories. Think in the ancient world of people like Alexander the Great. He even got given the name, the Great One. Think of people like the Emperor Augustus. The Emperor Augustus and the peace of Rome that he was attributed to him. These guys were so great and because of what they achieved, people believed them to be almost divine. I don't think that the definition of greatness in the modern world is that different. See, we, we look at people's achievements. We look at people's success. We look at people's portfolios, what they've grown, what they have. Often we measure greatness through materialistic means. How much people have accumulated. Often we think of ourselves in that same light of, you know, I'm only going to have succeeded when I get to a particular level or I accumulate a certain amount of stuff. We have this crazy thing in the modern world too that, that ascribes greatness to people of celebrity or fame, people that have done something, you know, rock stars, sports stars, you know, people that we admire because of their achievements or their human ability. We even have people in our world that we ascribe greatness to because they're celebrities and they've done nothing. Someone's just decided at some point that they're famous. And so we watch their every post and we listen to their every word. We look at greatness as something that you have to rise up to achieve. And this is where Jesus turns everything on its head. You know, as Jason mentioned 
a little bit earlier, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, traditionally the Sunday before the Easter weekend. And, and I'm not going to read the whole story to you of Palm Sunday today, but later, why don't you go with your family and read uh, either Luke chapter 19 or Matthew chapter 21 that tells you the events of what has become known as Palm Sunday. It was the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And as he came into Jerusalem, it would be the beginning of the week that would end next Friday in his crucifixion on a rugged Roman cross. And the story as it's outlaid in Scripture says that Jesus commandeers a donkey. And he sits on this donkey and he rides towards Jerusalem. And as he does, people take off their cloaks and they lay them on the ground. It was like they were creating some form of red carpet for him. And they took palm branches, which they waved, and they shouted, Hosanna, which means save now. And we've always, many of us have wondered what the palm branches are about. And I want to tell you a little story from History that wasn't that far before the time of Jesus that I think gives deeper meaning to this Palm Sunday account. You see, in the period that was known as the intertestamental period, so in your Bible, the Old Testament and then the New Testament, the Bible's split into two spaces, there was a 400-year gap between the last writings of the Old Testament and the story of Jesus that we find at the beginning of the New Testament. And history says that in this time, there was, there was a really wicked, terrible king that was part of the Seleucid Empire. His name was, I've got to get this right, but King Antiochus. And King Antiochus took control of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the place where the Jews came to worship God. And the temple was the centerpiece of that. And King Antiochus got into the temple and desecrated it and turned it into a place of worship of foreign gods and foreign deities. And there was all kind of messed up things happening in the temple. And history tells us that during this time, a revolution started to grow amongst a group of people known as the Maccabees. And the Maccabees uh, were like a, a guerrilla warfare unit that was fighting those that had taken control of Jerusalem. And the culmination of this story comes one day when their leader, Judas Maccabeus, rides to Jerusalem to reclaim the temple, to cleanse it and to restore its worship of the one true God. And as Judas rides in this great hero of the people, this great military warrior, people took palm branches and waved them. And so as we look now a few hundred years later at the story of Jesus and people grab palm branches and start waving them, I wonder if what they were saying is, Jesus, be like He was. We need you. We need you to ride in power and victory and might to cleanse those that have, you know, occupied our land. We get rid of the Roman occupation that is present in our time. But Jesus doesn't ride in on a war horse. It says he sits on a donkey and as he approaches Jerusalem, he starts to weep over the city. And the donkey is no accident either. Jesus, in this moment, you know, makes sense of a prophecy that was given hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Zechariah. Let me read it to you this morning. Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout Daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle 
bow will be breaking, broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In other words, Zechariah prophesies that one day someone will ride on a donkey and in that all the might or the military or the bases of power will be broken and peace will come and the rule of this king will stretch to all ends of the globe. You see, Jesus, as he rides to Jerusalem, turns everything on its head. His confrontation with the power base there led him to being hung naked, whipped, beaten on a rugged Roman cross. In a human sense, the complete picture of hopelessness, helplessness and defeat. But this is the miracle of the moment because God turns everything on its head and in the moment, where the powers of this world thought they had the victory, something changed. You see, God showed us that the greatest way to show love and to serve and to give was found in Jesus who emptied himself of everything to the point of death on a cross out of love for you. God's way of dealing with greatness, the roadmap of greatness, was actually a descending journey. And as followers of Christ, if we want to be great, don't think about who we can trample. Don't think about who we can beat. Don't think about what we can achieve or accumulate. Because the way of Jesus' followers is greatness that is found through self-emptying, self-sacrificial, selfless love. But there's a little bit more to this story. And to get there, I just want to read to you, as we near conclusion, the fullness of this piece of poetry that Paul gives us. From verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what God is like. He showed us that the way to greatness is by emptying ourselves of everything. And in the midst of that, God will elevate and glorify that sacrifice. And in Jesus, He poured Himself out in completeness, out of love for you. And so God then elevated Him to the place of complete greatness, of complete glory, of complete honour. Let me finish. You know, on June 23, 1894, our child was born. Edward Albert 
Christian, George, Andrew, Patrick, David. What a name. Imagine signing that up this week if you had to fill in some forms. But Edward Albert, Christian, George, Andrew, Patrick, David was the eldest son of King George V and Queen Mary. And so at his father's death on the 20th of January, 1936, he succeeded to the throne of the British Empire as King Edward VIII. In that position, all honour, all renown, all power and prestige that came to the king was given to him. Except Edward had a problem. See, Edward had fallen in love. And now if you read the history of this and the story of this, it's quite a messy love story. But the woman that he fell in love with was not someone that he was going to be able to marry as a royal. And so he had a choice. Did he walk away from the throne or did he walk away from the one that he loved? And he made his choice and in December 1936, Edward VIII abdicated the British royal throne and handed it to his next youngest brother to pursue life with the one that he loved. Edward's story was really messed up in part. And so it's nothing compared to the story of Jesus who stepped out of the glory and the riches of heaven driven by love for you. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus today, as we finish, I'm gonna pray that you may every day become a little bit more like Christ in that. Learn what it means to empty yourself, to give of yourself to be selfless and self-sacrificial in your love for your neighbour. I'm going to pray that in these strange days, God might just prompt in you creative and innovative and new ways to show love and compassion and practical care for those that God puts in your path. But if you've joined us today and you've never discovered the life that Jesus offers, I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus, to start a brand new story where the love of God becomes true and real for you. He did all that I've spoken about today out of love and motivation for you. He didn't want anything to get in the way of you having a relationship with Him. God doesn't pursue you out of revenge or out of vengeance or to point out all your faults or to remind you all the things you've done wrong. He just pursues you out of love. And He invites you to embrace that and to begin a new relationship with Him where you choose to walk away from trying to do life your own way and to trust Him with your future and to invite Him to be the Lord of your life. I'm gonna pray in a moment a prayer that if you've never taken that step of starting a journey of following Jesus, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me, to put in your own words your desire for God to become your Lord and your Saviour, to allow that sacrifice that He made on that rugged Roman cross to become your source of forgiveness and new life today. And as we pray that prayer, you'll notice on your screen today in the chat, there'll be a button that pops up that just says, include me in that prayer. I stick my hand up. Today, I decide to follow Jesus. 
And I'd love you just to click that, just to tell us that today you prayed that prayer along with us because today is your starting point. Today is your moment of decision, but the fun really starts there. The fun of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and called to be part of His church family in making a difference in this world starts at this moment. And it's not something you could do alone. It's something that we wanna walk alongside you in. And so we'd love you just to let us know that you prayed this prayer today so we can do that journey with you and we can help you discover more of God's love, more of God's grace and more of the purpose for which He designed you. So if you'd like to pray that prayer, if you'd like to make that response, the words are gonna come up on the screen now. Why don't you pray it with me this morning? Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything I know is wrong and I choose to follow you. Thanks that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and you promise me new life. Please come into my life so I can know your power and grace forever. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you just made the best decision that you will ever make. Hit that button. Let us walk alongside you. Rest of the church, why don't you hit that little love, like button on your screen just to cheer everybody along today as they start this great adventure as a follower of Jesus. Hey, I want to pray for all of us now as we bring our time to conclusion. Jesus, I I can't even find the words of gratitude to say thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that you chose, not out of obligation, not because someone twisted your arm, but you chose out of love to step out of the glory and the riches of heaven and empty yourself to the point of death on a cross so that I, so that we could have relationship with you. I want to thank you, Jesus, in that example that you show us the people that you call us to be. I want to pray for each one of us that we would we will discover some new ways, some new opportunities right now to continue to follow, to imitate you in that, in the way that we love those around us, the way that we care for those that are hurting, the way that we sacrifice for those that are poor and marginalised, and the way that we as your church continue to shine your light. God, I pray that you would encourage us in that, that you would sustain us in that. And as we do, Jesus, would we continue just to lift our eyes to you and just to be overwhelmed again by your goodness, by your love and by your grace. We pray these things today in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, I just want you to, as we conclude this morning, just to join as we sing one final song that just speaks words of truth. Again, put some some joy and some beauty and some words of truth. Why don't you lift your voices together as we lift the name of Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we'd love to encourage you on your journey. Help us to help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected. 